This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Yeah, okay, good. Okay, welcome everybody. Welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Okay, a few announcements. Um, by the way, you'll be able to shut it off also, right? Same, yeah, when we're finished. So, uh, okay, a few announcements. First of all, stay tuned for class next week if we're going to have it or not. We will see uh, what happens. Uh, another announcement is that this Monday, BJX, in association with Bet Jurel, a joint commission um, venture, is coming with a with the high school students. So anybody, any high school student uh, from the ages of high school to high school, they are welcome to join a six-week program. And it's every Monday from 68 in this beautiful location. As you can see behind us, we have this wonderful <laughs> pool table. And I'm sure as we ventured around this room, slowly, slowly, we've seen practically every part of this room, uh, which is, uh, you know, beautiful. You have a ping pong table, you have basketball hoops, uh, you have Olympic-sized swimming pool if you are daydream enough. So... There's plenty of beautiful things, so if you're, if you want to join, you're more than welcome to join. You can reach out to me, or it's gonna be on all the groups. Send it out to your family members, your, everybody who, who would want it. It is mixed. It's meant for that type of crowd. It's, uh, um, they meet with CEOs, with like powerful CEOs, and they meet with powerful rabbis. It's a leadership program, yeah. And uh, they also get, at the end of that, if they go to the six-week class, there's also a Shabbaton, a local Shabbaton, they get a $200 stipend, uh, uh, you know, so they actually pay them to to uh, come to these type of classes. And for every friend referral, you think you can also make uh, 50 bucks. Okay, that was that. Okay, let us go on. Today we're learning for Wufash Lama, to Simcha Ben Basha and Yechezkel Ben Sila. So, tonight we're, God willing... Be'ezrat Hashem, I hope to finish off the prequel to the Shavuot story. I know that we're one week away from Shavuot, so we're only going to be starting possibly Shavuot by Shavuot or after Shavuot. Uh, but we're, we're finishing up the story of what happened from when the Jews left Egypt until when the Jews arrived at Har Sinai to receive the Torah. So, coming to where we left off from last uh, last week, we spoke about the, the hidden story of the man. So now we're going to start off with the, with the story of, of Miriam's well. What happened was is that the Jewish people, they went and they left our, the place called Alush, and they went and they camped a place called Rifidim. In Rifidim, the, the Jewish people, their spiritual connection deteriorated. So they, they, and as we've seen last week with the lack of observance of Shabbat and the lack of observance of mitzvot, so because of their decrease in spirituality, there was going to be two tests coming to them. And uh, one of them is in reference to water, and another one is going to be reference to Amalek, which hopefully we'll be able to cover both of those uh, grounds tonight. So, one of the reasons that they got tested with water is that the Torah is very much associated with water. Just like they were lacking Torah, so too they are going to be lacking uh, water as well. Now, when they left from the previous place when they were in the desert, they knew that the, it was like very common that in the desert... Prepare enough water because you're not going to have water wherever you're going. So to the same extent, even in, uh, in, in the previous place where they had water, they knew that they better store up the storehouses for, for water. And then they would be able to go and have sufficient uh, water for, for the time being. So when they, when they arrived at Rifidim, once they, land, once they arrived at Rifidim, they went and the first thing that they did is they started searching for stores of water. And when they saw that there was no water, not even, there was no even bitter water. There was nothing in Rifidim over there. So they went and they started questioning. They started saying, okay, listen, what are the, you know, it's all Moshe Rabbeinu's fault. They, st- they went back to the same habits that they were trying to get out of. They started complaining to Moshe Rabbeinu. Says, look at him. He came and he brought us, he got us lost again. Who knows what, what you know, if he knows what, he, what he's doing. 
At the same point, you had some righteous people and say, listen, does Moshe steer the, you know, the, the clouds? Moshe doesn't do any of that. It all comes directly from God. So, Moshe, when the complaints came to Moshe, Moshe went, he listened to them, and he responded to them. He said, listen, he says, you know that I don't produce water. You know that I am not in charge of anything. I'm merely a messenger. And if you're getting angry with me, you're getting angry with God. He says, why are you getting angry with God? How many times does God have to test you? And how many times do you have to fail until you figure out the scenario over here? Stop testing God. Stop complaining. Instead of complaining to me, maybe pray to God. Maybe go and do the mitzvot like you're supposed to do. And then you're going to be able to go and get what you need. In general, uh, and what happened was also the people went and they, you know, after Moshe spoke to them, sort of put them in their place, they were embarrassed, they were humbled, and they realized that they sort of stepped over the bounds. In general, this is how it works in life, that sometimes if you get angry, frustrated, uh, emotionally fluctuating in any sense, you're already not responding in the most intellectual manner, you're not responding in the correct manner, and you could do and say things that you will eventually end up regretting it. And... Moshe went and he woke them up. He woke them up and be like, hey, 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 you're overreact. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So we should always, you know, every, every time that you're learning a Torah class, you should always take out practical things. Every single Torah class, if you don't take out a practical thing, that you lost it. You lost so much of what the intent was. Because the purpose of the Torah, the purpose of learning is to do. Not theoretical, not the intellectual. It's all about doing it. It's all about taking the Torah and putting it into your own lives. So... The Jewish people, when they arrived at the place called the Fidim, that actually the, the it you know the, it was renamed to called Maasa or Meriva. Um, why was it renamed that? Because Maasa means testing. They tested God. Meriva means conflict and strife. They kept on arguing and 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 having conflicts with Moshe and with obviously uh, into some association with God. So, um, to like let's say make it like practical. Could it be something like um, if, you, if you're like angry at like a person, you like take a few days to like think. Of the most important thing to do, and that's a great point. Let's say someone gets angry at something. It was once a righteous um, rabbi that the child did something wrong. The rabbi didn't respond. Like two days later, the rabbi went and disciplined the child. Now that I'm not angry anymore, now that I'm thinking all from here, now I'm going to discipline you. Because sometimes when you get... Even in the business world, right? You have somebody that's working for you and they just mess it up and you just want to blow. I'd be like, are you kidding me? This, your, your, your salary is not worth on how much you just lost for the company. You just want to blow. But that doesn't really gain anything. You don't really succeed in anything in that. But rather the, the most important thing is, yeah, you take a breather, you relax. In life, this is a standard procedure that you should follow. Always follow, always do things intellectually, not emotionally. Because once you do things emotionally, it messes things up. Emotionally ruins your, 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 clouds your judgment. This goes for dating, this goes for business, this goes for family, this goes for every single thing that you do. You need to do intellectually. That's why Jews are supposed to be known as Melech. Melech means Moach Lev Kaved. Moach. First you're supposed to go with the brain. Then you go with the heart, and then Kaved is the desires, everything else that, that goes on. That is the method, that is the method that you should do every single decision in your life. Intellectually, emotionally, and then everything else that falls into play. And if you're not intellectually fully capacitated, so either if you're under the influence of either drug or alcohol or emotions, which also are just as much as under the influence as any other uh, you know, drug, you should uh, refrain from doing anything rash because you will end up regretting it. Okay, so now... In the Jewish people over here, instead of passing this test, they, they failed miserably. And they started personally attacking Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu was... To the, imagine, like, how much to, how many times can you scream at a person and the person's going to keep on coming back? You know how many times they scream at Moshe, they complain at Moshe? And Moshe just kept on coming back. Very calm, 
all intellectually. He was like, yes, I understand. There's no water. Yeah, yeah. And then he gave them the rebuke, the, you know, the way that, the, that as a leader, as Moshe Rabbeinu was, was able to. He never for a second thought about forsaking them. He's like, what do I need this? You know, like I'm retirable age. Let me go, you know, let me go to Florida and live with the seniors and enjoy life. Do I need all this headache? No, nothing, you know, no offense. Um, so they say, you know, in Florida, yeah, when someone's driving, they have this right signal just left on. It's just from when they left the driveway, the right signal just stays on until where they reach the destination. <laughs> they should say also... <laughs> What is it? The flag of Florida should just be two hands and a hat, you know, on a steering wheel, right? Because you don't see anybody actually driving it. You see, with a you know, a little woman comes out with a hat and she has like piles of books, you know, sitting on top to try to reach a gas pedal. But uh, um, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, instead of going and giving up, and then he was very calm and collected. And not only did he not give up, he actually prayed for them. They were at, they were complaining at him, and he was like, "Okay, let me pray for you." Like they were arguing against him, and he was like, "Okay, yeah, let me pray for you." Like you know what a high level that is. Imagine the next time someone screams at you in public and embarrasses you, and you'll be like, "You know what? I'm gonna don't say this out loud because obviously that's insulting." You know, like, "Oh, let me pray for you because you're obviously mentally ill." You know, like, don't do that. But you should say, hey, listen, you know, like in your own mind, this person is obviously not well. Like if they're screaming, if you're driving in Brooklyn, so everybody is mentally unwell, you know, like say so if you're, you should just be praying for everybody, right? Feel that the should also be said in Brooklyn when you're driving, you know, across the street to find a different praying, spot for alternate side. You have like less like issues, I feel like, if you all prayed for like the other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So God tells, God tells, uh, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to God and says, listen, he says, I even heard the Jewish people, they went and they, at one point, they wanted to go and they were talking about that, that I'm a false prophet and they want to stone me. And Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, hey, listen, he says, first of all, don't slander the Jewish people. He says, you really think that they could hurt you if I don't decree it? He says, you know what, here's a test. Take a bunch of the elders, people that would not be able to offend you, like old, frail people. Let them walk out in the street and let them walk behind you and go amongst the Jewish people. See if they're going to really, if their intent is really to hurt you. So they go and they walk out into, you know, into the street, Moshe Rabbeinu with, with, you know, with the elders behind him. And he sees he has really has nothing to fear. Not only that, the Jewish people actually respected him. And they gave him the, you know, the highest you know, form of honor. And Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, now I want you to go to Cholev. Anybody know where Cholev is? Har Sinai. It's one of the names of Har Sinai. Hashem goes and tells Moshe, I want you to go to, to the mountain of Choev, and over there, you're going to be able to get, uh, to get water. And how are you going to get water? There's going to be water that's going to come out of a stone. And I want you, it's going to be a very miraculous event, God tells Moshe Rabbeinu, I want the elders to, you take the elders, uh, you know, with you. And what are you going to also take with you? You're going to take the staff. The staff that you brought all the plagues on Egypt, they think the staff is all with destruction and all with bad things, just with, associated with plagues and, and death. Now you're going to see that the same staff is also has the ability to go and um, and and bring life and bring water. So they uh, and by the way, the same Mount Chorav is the same place that Moshe Rabbeinu saw the sneh, the burning bush. It all happened in the same place. People have to just know how to plug in the you know the whole story together. A lot of things happened on Har Sinai. It's just known as different names. And when we get to Har Sinai, we'll speak about it. We'll speak about yeah. So I don't know if we'll speak about it. Next week or the week afterwards, you know, well, I, I do want to speak about all the names of Harsinai and what actually, you know, happened to them. Harsinai? Yeah. I was it's, ask. I think it's in Egypt, if I'm not mistaken. You, you I know I'm going to be corrected on this. I heard, like, you could, for, you could visit Arabia. it. Or Saudi Arabia, I don't know. No, they Saudi Arabia, Arabia, Egypt? Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah, it was supposed to be in Sinai. So. It's in Egypt. 
But about, yeah. people don't visit. Um, because it's Egypt. <laughs> people generally don't want to visit Egypt uh, on purpose, legally and uh, by your own free will. Back in the day when Jews were there, I don't know. First of all, there's a whole thing about going back to, 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 to Egypt. We're not sure. That you're not supposed to. No, I'm saying there Jews also. living in Egypt for a long time. There is, but generally you're not supposed to go back to Egypt. Whatever, it's a different discussion for a different time. Um, but uh, the, you're able to go and, and hire Sinai. If you want to go visit it, by all means, you know, figure it out and do your investigation. Every rock has like a picture of burning or something. No. I've never heard of that before. I've never heard of that. People show me a rock that has a picture, has like, I've never seen that. It sounds very interesting. Almost sounds like it should be in a in a. What? I've never heard of it, but it could be. If you can send it to me, I'm curious to see what the a picture of a burning bush. Out of all the things, I don't know. Whatever. Oh, those things. Yeah, you know, people say that the toast looks like Jesus. You know, like okay, that's that's nothing. Yeah, people say that thing, you know, and uh, that I wouldn't tell. If every single, whatever it is, let's, let, I have to do research on it before I comment and make fun of it. But, um, <laughs> but it, it's most likely, I, I've never heard of it. Um, doesn't mean anything, but, uh, um, I would, I would like to look into it. If anybody, one of you could go and send me some sort of information on it. In any case, so, Moshe Rabbeinu is coming over there. He's there with his, with his, with his staff, and he's about to, he's like looking at which rock I'm supposed to, am I supposed to hit? And God tells him, says, I don't want you to pick a rock. Let the elders pick a rock. I don't want them to say, okay, listen, Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, he came, he did some recon on the situation, right? He was like, you want to see something cool? Look, I'm, he already knew that there was a well behind this rock, and that's why he split up with the rock, blah, 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 blah. God tells, you know when there's a magic trick? What's a magic trick? You don't say pick a card, any card, and be like, yeah, pick this one, you know, and that's the one that sticks out. You want to say pick a card, any card, and then put it in your wallet, and then digest it, and then it's going to be in a watermelon. You know, like something, that's a magic trick. You know, like not some, so God tells Moshe Rabbeinu, says, hey, listen, don't, you don't pick a rock. Let them pick a rock. Point to whichever rock they want, that's the one that you're going to take your stick, you're going to hit it, and that's going to turn into, uh, that's going to be the one that's going to be filled with uh, uh, water. So, that's exactly what happened. The elders went, they poked, they, they picked the rock, and the, and Moshe Rabbeinu took the, took his stick and hit the rock. The rock split open, and, and initially blood started coming out for a split second. And then eventually it turned out to water, and then all the rocks in the vicinity also split open, and also water started coming out. Now, the, this, this was known, this was, uh, this rock sort of traveled with the Jewish people, this well, really traveled the Jewish people. This was known as the well of Miriam. Miriam was Moshe's sister, uh, Moses' sister, and she, in her merit, this, uh, this rock came into, this water came from this rock and came from the well in her, in her match. What, for a few reasons. Number one, because of the fact that she went and she saved, uh, Moshe, she saved all the Jewish babies when she was, Anybody know this backstory? I think we spoke about it once upon a time. She was one of the midwives. She saved all the baby, babies from uh, from the decree of Paro. Also, she went and she had mercy on Moshe Rabbeinu when she when she went and she stayed to watch his his uh, um, his floating basket in the in the river. And finally, also, she was the one who started off singing Shira to God. So, in her merit, this well stayed with the Jewish people until she died. Once she died, the well ceased to exist. Uh, that it's. It came back for a little bit of the merit of, you know, Moshe and Aaron, but for the most part, it was all in her merit. So, when, when, when the water started, you know, shooting out, it shot out, it, first of all, it went like a, what is it called, a, a geyser? Like a, yeah, it went like, it went straight up, 
and then it came down like a like like a sort of like a waterfall. Yeah, and this the water reached the heights that no water ever reached, even in the time of the flood. It went higher than that. That's how high the water shot up. And then when it landed, it flew like a like a stream and a river all the way to where Jews were counting in Rifidim. Remember, the Jews were in Rifidim, and this happened on Mount Chalav, even though it was next to each other. But the the water came from there and it sort of just flowed flowed down. Now, as the water was flowing down, the princess, the head of every of every tribe, went and they with their sticks they made they made ditches. Uh, you know, that would go, because the tribes were encamped in their own sections. So they made ditches, they, they basically made ditches with the, with their staff, and the water split up into 12 different streams. And it went into each of their, uh, you know, of the selective, uh, you know, tribes. Now, because there was this type of like spiritual water was so powerful that it, it was, it brought such it brought vegetation, it brought fruit cheese, it brought all this amazing fruit that it, there was never fruit like this that existed until the time before Adam uh, did the sin with, with, by Gan Eden, before the sin of Etzadas. They had the man, they also had supplemental things. We said they had the meat, whatever, they had their own cattle. The man came, the man was their main source of nourishment. Uh, but they had this as a sort of a byproduct, what you, I don't know what you call it, desserts. Or whatever the French would say, you know, like, and they will charge you seventeen dollars, uh, you know, for it, um, seventy euros um, when euro is worth something. Uh, okay, so anyways, so now the the water was was it split you through twelve different streams, and not only that, it, in the streams it also split into a bunch of you know a bunch of different you know little other factions that it went to people's like front. Yards where they had their tents, and now the this water worked similar to the way that the man would work. So the righteous people had the water flow right by them. They didn't have to go and travel. They didn't have to schlep anything. It came right to them. And they were able to drink the water. The wicked people they had to go and travel and bring buckets and then and then and then schlep and and carry the water all the way back to them. The the Gentile nations the same same way that they wanted to try to eat from the mound, they couldn't. When they tried to drink from the water, if they scooped up in a cup or in a ladle like the water, the second that they brought it to their mouth, oh, magic, it disappeared. There was nothing. You know, they scooped it up, drank, and there's nothing. Scooped it up, drank, and there's nothing. If they somehow were able to put a few bits of water, drops of water in their mouth, it tasted very bitter. It didn't taste good, it, it didn't taste good to them. Now, the... After this scenario happened, there was another very important, uh, you know, factor that happened in this area, and that is uh, the war of, of Amalek. So right now we're talking about two weeks before the, uh, the, the giving of the Torah on Harsinai. Sorry. Um, I was just thinking, they say that, um, like, when, like, Mashiach comes, it'll be, like, ten times from, like, um, Gullah's, like, Mitzrayim. So... Will it be like ten times more than like than like this? Is that mentioned anywhere? Depending on what you're saying in regards Nisim to Mesem-wise. Mesem-wise, it's going to be yeah, it's going to be greater. Um, the but the story of Amalek, I'm not going to, I don't want to give any spoilers. But bear with me because the story of Amalek, I'm going to give you a spoiler. <laughs> Too bad because you said something. Um, <laughs> the spoiler, thank you. This that you know the war of Gogomagog supposed to be crazy. Yeah. The war of Amalek was greater. Even the says are even than the than the war. So. Stay tuned. Was in it, well. I don't want to give too much. Let's wait till we get to it. There is there is a few things that you know that come to me. Well, well, let's let's wait. This is mine, right? Thank you very much. Okay. So we're talking about two weeks before the giving of the Torah. Two weeks before the giving of the Torah, they uh, the Jews instead of purifying themselves and getting ready for for receiving the Torah, going in prayer and and learning Torah and doing the mitzvot that they already got. 
Instead of doing that, they went through conflict and they also went through ingratitude. Uh, similar to the Midrashim brings down a story that there was once a father who had a child on his shoulders. And the child was walking, you know, past by and they saw a beautiful fruit tree. And the child said, oh, I'm so hungry, can I have some fruit? So the father goes, picks him up some fruit, gives it to the child, the child goes and eats it. They're traveling a little bit more and they see this, you know, water stream, clear water, delicious water, Poland Spring from the main wherever Poland Spring comes from, not from Poland, right? And they go and they say, oh, I'm so thirsty. Can I get this non-Poland from Poland Spring water? And they go and they, they scoop out, the, the father scoops out a cup of water, gives it to the child, child drinks, drinks it, and it's delicious. After a while, they're traveling, and the father's doing all these things for this for the son. And, you know, the child comes and sees a man walking towards him. And the child goes and says, hey, listen, you know, dear stranger, have you seen my father anywhere? I haven't seen him. And the father's like, are you serious? You're on my shoulders. I gave you the fruit. I gave you the water. I give you everything that you asked for. And you didn't even realize that I am with you? The same thing was with the Jewish people at this point in time. They, at this point in time, they said, oh, is Hashem among us? Is Hashem really indeed uh, with us? Be like, Hashem says, really? Like, I am like the father who is, you're, and you're the child on my shoulders. And I'm giving you everything that you have and you need and you, and you're still questioning if I'm there. So, in essence, the, um, the Mepharshim do say that they did believe God existed in all aspects of it, but what about God traveling in the desert? Was he really with us as he was with us every, everywhere else? So, God says, okay, listen, you don't believe that I exist? I'm going to send you a little reminder. And that's never something that you want to happen. That's so, the, God sent them a little inspiration. Not the motivational inspiration that we're known for for today, but rather inspiration by the most uh, treacherous enemy of the Jewish uh, you know, history, and that is Amalek. So God said, okay, you know, let's see, let's see what I, uh, Amalek, go, go say hi. You know, like, go introduce yourselves. You know, like, so Amalek goes and, uh, for, you know, we have to actually give a little bit of a background on Amalek. Amalek was a descendant of Esav. Amalek was the, actually the grandson of Esav. Anybody know who Amalek's father was? Alifaz, very good. Alifaz. Yeah. So you had uh, you had Esav, you had Alifaz, and you have Amalek. Anybody know who Amalek's mother was? Very good. Timna. What? Timna. Mm. Timna. So, oh, let's, uh, well, before. She's the one that went to Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, interesting story about There's actually a lot, a lot to speak just about her, and I'm not, I'm only speaking on a select few things on it. I don't know. People use yeah, yeah, Christine also. I don't know. No, I remember. So um, girls with that name. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I think so. Yeah. One thing that you should know is never learn from what people are doing. Well, everybody's doing this nowadays. No. Yeah. It there's. I'll tell you like this. There's somebody that I'm very close with that that actually helps me a lot. Asks me all, you know, he's having, you know, uh, twins, and he asks me every once in a while, "Are you familiar with this name? Are you familiar with that name?" And either I'm like, "Yes" or "No." Where did you hear that from? These are usually my type of, you know, responses. So, um, and and, and that's really what should be done because you should not be just pulling up a hat out of your name, you know. Tabilta, because you were delivered on the table. So Tabilta, <laughs> that is your name. You know, like that's not the way. You, obviously, you want to have, you know, powerful names because your name. Tells you an essence of what you are. Yeah. So in any case, so going back to Amalek, who was Amalek? So Amalek was the grandson of of Esav. 
Amalek is the same numerical value as Safek, which is 140. Why? Because the Jewish people, oh, the God says, you're, you're in Safek, you're, in, you're not sure, you're uncertain if I exist, if I'm around here, if I'm still with you, then I'm going to send you the same thing of uncertainty, and that's Amalek. Amalek is uncertainty, I'm going to send Amalek to you as well. So, Hashem sends Amalek, uh, you know, to them, and... Amalek, you know, his power comes from, he's a descendant of, of Abraham. Even though it comes from Esau, but Esau comes from Yitzhak and it comes from Abraham. Now, when Yitzhak went and he blessed, blessed Esau, it was, it was conditional on, one of the blessings of, of Yitzhak was conditional to which the, the level of spirituality of the Jewish nation. So if the Jews were on a high level of spirituality, they're following, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're following the Torah, they're following the mitzvot, they're doing everything they're supposed to be doing, then the Jewish people are going to be on top. But if it flips and the Jewish people are not doing what they're supposed to do, then, I'm a, then, then the Esav and his descendants are going to have the upper hand. So... How did this whole feud start with Esav, Amalek, and the Jewish people? Was at the age of 15, Esav went, and Esav came home one day very, very hungry and tired from his, uh, from his day. And uh, Yitzhak was cooking something, something red. And Esav says, give me whatever you have that's cooking. So Yitzhak said, hey, listen, nothing in this world is free. You want it, you got to pay for it. So Esav says, what do you want? He says, I want your birthright. So they signed the contract. Esav sold his birthright to Yitzhak. A full, a, a full fledged, what? Esav to Yaakov, thank you. Esav sold his, sold his birthright, thank you very much, to Yaakov. And what happened was, is that as Yitzchak got older, he was, he became blind, uh, from the, anybody know from where? Uh, that's one of the reasons. From the Avodah also from the smoke of Esav's wives, from, you know, from, from a few sources. And he wanted to give a blessing to his firstborn. So he calls his firstborn, which on, on his understanding is Esav. But really, who's really the first? He, Esav sold the firstborn to Yaakov. So Yaakov went, disguised himself as Esav, and he went and he got the blessing of that was, that was originally intended for the firstborn, and Esav thought, considered himself still the firstborn. So, when Esav heard about this, 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 you know, the sneakiness of what he felt that his brother did to him, he vowed to kill his brother. He's gonna go and he's gonna kill his brother. So, when Yaakov heard about this, Yaakov fled. He ran out. He ran away. And, uh, Esav realized that Yaakov ran, so he calls his son Eliphaz. And he says, Eliphaz, listen, I need you to go and defend my honor. I need you to go and stand up for what's right for our family, and I need you to go and kill Yaakov. Because when Yaakov dies, then the blessing reverts back to me. So, Eliphaz growing up knew that one of the most important things in mitzvot to do is to honor your parents. Because Esav was known to honoring the parents. So, Eliphaz goes and sets out to go and kill his uncle, his uncle Yaakov. Now, Eliphaz respected his uncle Yaakov. Yaakov, you know, he didn't want to kill him. But listen, you know, some people don't know the priorities. And he's like, listen, I, you know, keep it up at aim. I got to do whatever I got to do. You know, if he wants me to kill and then rob the Fed, that's what I got to do. There's nothing that I, you know, my hands are tied. It's not like I had a choice. So he goes and he chases and he catches up to Yaakov. He catches up Yaakov. Yaakov realizes when he comes and says, okay, I see that you're, you know, this is my dear nephew. I see that you're coming to kill me. And Alifa says, yeah, uh, I am coming to kill you. So Yaakov says, listen, he says, I have a solution for you. I'm sure you don't want to kill me. You're a good person. You want to do what's right. And Eliphaz says, listen, I have to follow my father's orders. My father said that I need to kill you, so I need to kill you. So Yaakov says, a poor person, a destitute person is known as dead. 
if you go and you steal and you take everything that I, that I have of value, then I am known as a poor person, as a destitute person, and hence it says, if you killed me, that's the, the Torah. So Eliphaz, who didn't really want to kill him, says, you know what? What you're saying is good. You know, it doesn't work with terrorists nowadays. And he said, what you're saying is good. He says, let's do that. So Eliphaz goes and robs Yaakov Avinu. He takes him up of everything and he goes back to his, his father, Esau. Yeah. Why did Why did oh, very good question. Why did send your minions and not do things dirty work yourself? <laughs> Eventually, so it didn't work. So that's why he ended up going himself. Um, so Asaph is coming with four hundred men. Why originally didn't he do it? And he sent him. I don't know the the, the specifics of it, but I'm sure Asaph had. Or, and I, I don't think he was closing on a real estate deal. I was like, listen, I can't leave right now. I have a closing in a few days. You know, he's obviously from a Jewish descendant, so he was doing real estate, right? And, you know, and he says, I can't. Uh, he says, but you go and report. There was a reason that he didn't go, and eventually, whatever it was that he that that it felt that didn't work out with with uh, um, with uh, Alifaz, he tried doing it, and then eventually, I'm not like, yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm saying it's a good question. I don't know the specifics of. It was a while because right over here, Yaakov at this store at this point, Yaakov wasn't married yet. Yeah, and then he goes. Oh, Yeshiva, yeah, you're talking about it many years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I don't want to get into the details of this, but while um, Yaakov Vino was in the Yeshiva of Shem Ever, he was off the grid. No one knew where he was. Yaakov didn't know where he was. He was, he, yeah, it was a grid. Yeah, it was private investigators, you know, wearing wolf. He was in witness protection, right? But like the real one, not the one that. Okay. Uh, anyways, so. Esav gets really upset at this on Lefa. He says, I sent you to kill him. What are you bringing back his money? He says, why are you so useless? You know, I don't know what words he used. But like, why are you so useless? I sent you to kill him. You're not killing him. He says, you know what? I, I just have to do things myself. Now, Amalek, which is Alifa's, you know, son, overheard this. And he says, listen. He goes to his grandfather. He says, grandfather, send me. I'll take care of you. Alifa's and uh, Esav and Amalek were very close. They were very close. So Amalek says, says you send me. I'll take care of your bidding grandpa. He says, yeah. How old is he? He's 40? No, he's a lot older. He's, uh, at this point, he's older, older than 40. Yeah, yeah. He's older than 40. Yeah. So, you're talking about, I would even say, over 60 at this point. If I could estimate. So, Esav, so Esav says, yes, you go do my bidding. You go kill Yaakov. Now, when Amalek goes over to his father, Lifaz, and says, listen, you know, I'm taking over the mission, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going over for this now. So Aliva says, hey, hey, listen, you gotta be smart about this. This is not this, you know, good idea. Yeah, you know, the blessing that Yaakov received from our, you know, great grandfather, from your great grandfather, which was Yitzchak, was that if you go and you work together and you help and you accommodate Yaakov and, and then, then you'll get, you know, you know, the next world as well. As at this point, Yaakov got the good blessing. He got this world and the next world. Says, you don't want to mess with them and then it's going, to, you know, you're gonna lose that as well. And Timna, his mother, told, you know, Alifa, say, listen, he says, you got to think even smarter. He says, what happens, you know, your great-great-grandfather, Avraham Avinu, he was, you know, he was told that his grandchildren are going to be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. If you kill Yaakov, who doesn't have any children right now, then which grandchildren do you think are going to be enslaved for 400 years? Da-da, you know, it's, it's left to you and your, and, you know, your brothers and your siblings. He says, are you willing to kill him? And then go and risk being enslaved for 400 years? So that took some sense into, uh, into Amalek. And he says, okay, listen. He says, well, wait. 
and we'll wait for the opportune time, and wait for the opportune time, then we'll strike, we'll attack, and we'll destroy and annihilate. So they waited and waited and waited for a very, very long time. And this was, this, you know, from one Amalek king to another Amalek king, until finally the Jewish people left Egypt. They were no longer under Egypt rule. Now they're traveling in the desert, all by themselves. Now they're at their weakest point. Now the Amalek king says, listen, this is the time to fulfill my destiny. I'm going to be the one to destroy the Jewish nation. I'm going to be the one who get the blessing back that it was brought down in tradition from their, you know, from their Mesorah, if we could call them that, from their ancestor Amalek. So, they wanted to kill Yaakov regardless. Everything else was a bonus. Have you ever tried to talk sense to a psychopath? Um, I have, yes. I, I have, yeah. And I wish it wouldn't be as frequent as I do. <laughs> um, to the point that sometimes I send people to speak to other, um, to other rabbis, and the rabbis call me back, and they're like, you better like block your number from this person because this person is certifiably crazy, psychotic. I get this time and time again. Like Baruch Hashem, the people that you know that reach out to me. I, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, but listen, everything is good. You know, we try to help as much people as we, uh, you know, as we possibly can. But I've dealt with my fair share of psychopaths. Yeah, um, not easy. I'll tell you that much. Not easy at all. There's no, there's no intellect that you can speak to them. You going for psychology? Yeah. Wait a few years. <laughs> You'll understand what I'm talking about. So um, maybe I'll send you some patience. Eh? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not so gonna work with that kind. <laughs> That's what every psychologist says. Okay, so now the 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 king the, the Amalek king hears that the Jewish people are traveling in the desert. So he says, you know, let's do some recon. Let's send out to you know the, you know the people. Let's do send out to all the spies. How are the Jews doing in the desert? And they go and they see you know the Amalek you know spies go and they see the Jews are weak spiritually. They're not Jews. I'm like not Jews. No, no, no. I'm like are from the descent. Yep, but they're not Jews. Jews come from Yaakov Avinu, known as Yisraelim. Yisraelim comes from Israel, from Yaakov Avinu, only from Yaakov Avinu. Yeah, it comes under on from from his from his children. They do have uh, they do have the spiritual protection, if you can call it, the spiritual powers of Avraham and Yitzhak, which is their answer. Yeah, Muslim has Avraham. Um, you know, Edom, Esav has Yitzhak and Abraham. So they have a lot of, a lot of the same, we share the same ancestors. Put it this way. If you go far back enough, we're all cousins. You know, to some extent. You know, we all come from Adam Rishon. Unless you believe you're, you know, you come from monkeys and then, uh, you probably are right. You probably do come from monkeys. <laughs> so, uh, but everybody else most likely comes from, um, you know, from, from normal human stock. Uh, in any case, so, the, Amalek goes, and does its recon and realize that the Jews are weak. They're weak physically, they're weak spiritually. This is our time to our attack. Now, the, the Amalek was undermining, the, the Jewish people believed in one God. This is, they actually introduced this into the world. This is the monotheism that they introduced. So the, the Amalek, they, they actually undermined the, that, that fact of one God. They also, Felt that they're the rightful heir to Eretz Kedan, which is Eretz Israel. They really deserve that because they're really, the, you know, they claim that they're really the, um, the, you know, the firstborn, and they really should be getting those blessings. So, in any case, they 
they go and they're beginning to, to plan their attack, the attack on the Jewish nation. Now, they wanted to seek advice from Bilam. Bilam was, uh, was a known enemy of the Jewish people, but he had a lot of, lot of history with the Jewish people. So they go and they, and they, they call Bilam. Bilam comes in and says, listen, gentlemen, calls a parlor meeting, the boredom meeting, and he goes and he says, he says, it's a good thing that you called me because I know a lot about them. He says, you have to do your Raycon. He says, if they are associated with Torah, if they're learning Torah, then I'll tell you right now, there's nothing that you can do against them. There is no power that you would have over them if they have the Torah. However, if they are weak in the study of the Torah, then because you're also a descendant of Aham, you will have something to work on your behalf. So the Amalek king goes and says, hey, listen. He says, you know, we already uh, did this recon already. We know that they're weak in the Torah. They're not listening to the Torah. They, they desecrate the Shabbat. They did things that they were not supposed to do. So if that's so, says the Bilam, it says that your time is ripe right now. Now is where you got to go. And this is what you have to do. He says, you got to go to the neighboring nations. Gather the neighboring nations and try to, you know, try to collect as many people as you can. And who are you going to collect? Number one, you want to get the sorcerers, the wizards, the people that practice magic. And these magicians, these you're going to put in the front line. Also, you're going to put in the front line the people that are celebrating their birthdays. Because people that celebrate, on the day of your birthday, you have a high, a high spiritual power. So you want to put yourself in the front of the birthday. Yeah. That's why you give blessings on your birthday. That's why it's very important to start new things on your birthday. You give charity on your birthday. There you go. So start, if you want to start something new, it's good to start it on Hebrew birthday. English birthday means nothing. So, so, yeah, yeah, so, so, the, yeah, it's very, very, um, what, you're born what, on Shavuot? Wow, your name is not Ruth, is it? Oh. Okay. Ah, close enough. So, I don't know why I say close enough, I don't know what your name is. Okay, um, what? Ah, you know what, Miriam as well. There it is. Oh, yeah? So there you go. <laughs> so, in any case, it's because you guys are representing the class. This is what we're talking about, talking about Mer- the, the well of Miriam. Um, in any case, going back to Amalek. Anybody here named Amalek? No? Okay, good. So, okay. so now, Amalek, they went and they put the their sorcerers and the magicians in the front line. Then they put the people with the birthdays on the front line. They also went and they had the stargazers. Where they were very into stargazing and it, was, it is a legitimate you know, knowledge, the astrologers, right? To go and, and figure out who is going to live the rest of the year. The people that are going to live the rest of the year, put them on the front lines as well. So they went and they put these people on the front lines. And the, who did they attack first? They attacked the least, says Bilam, attacked the least faithful Jews. Attacked the vulnerable Jews. The Jews that are vulnerable physically, emotionally, intellectually, and of course, spiritually as well. So, Amalek goes and calls a conference of all the neighboring nations. And um, they go and they say, listen, say, you know, we're going to go, and we're going to go attack the Jews. And, you know, the neighbor nations say, hey, 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 you know, the Jews, we know about the Jews. We heard of what happened in Egypt. We want nothing with that. So Amalek says, listen, he says, we'll cut you a deal. You come with us. You attack them with us. If, we're, if, we, if we succeed, you share in the spoils with us. If you see that, that we're failing, you could kiss. You could run out. You could run away. And then, you know, we're going to be the one that's going to suffer the defeat. So it's like a win-win situation for them. So out of, out of all the nations, five nations joined Amalek. Five nations joined Amalek to go and, and attack the Jewish nations. They came up with, with uh, you know, roughly about a one million soldiers. One million soldiers came to attack the Jewish people. On the 29th of Yal, 
Amalek began its assault on the Jewish people. Now, the, traditionally back then, the way it worked is that in order, if you would, if you start a war, you would send a declaration of war. It was common procedure, common things that people would do for normal decency. We're going to start a war, blah blah blah. You know, you, you do the common things. They did none of that. They didn't do the declaration of the war. They did a surprise, unprovoked front assault on the Jewish people for absolutely no reason. Now what they did was, they also did some recon before that, because how are they going to find the Jewish nation? The Jewish nation was covered by the clouds of glory. Invisible to the, you know, to other people. The people, other people weren't able to go and find them. So, what they did was is that they were able to procure a, uh, a, a clay tablets with a bunch of the lineage from the Jewish people, and they found out, they, they, you know, the Jewish people, and they started they sent people to the Jewish camps uh, where the people, the, the wicked Jewish people and the Elavab and the not-so-righteous people were not able to go into, they were not covered by the by the Ananea Kovot, by the, the clouds of glory, so they were on the outside of the camp, and so they started a conversation with them. They said, listen, we have a business opportunity, I could flip you pennies on the dollar, this thing, and then, you know, like, gave them crazy business opportunities. So the Jews were, you know, the, the Jews of weak faith and that, that were, you know, outside of the camp, they were like, great opportunity, let's talk, and they met at different points, and uh, these are the people that instead of studying the Torah, the righteous people, they were not interested in business. They said, listen, we have the clouds of glory. We have God feeding us man from heaven. We have everything going for us. We have the well of Miriam. We don't need anything right now. We're going to study the Torah. They're the ones that stayed inside. But the, the, the Jews of little faith, they went out and they started, you know, handling and, and trying to negotiate with, uh, you know, business deals. Now... These people that were camped outside, these are the people that Amalek, Amalek attacked. Amalek also attacked the tribe of Dan. The tribe of Dan, uh, was also a very much outside of the clouds of glory because they had, you know, uh, they brought with them the idol of Mika, which was a, um, an idol that unfortunately was from, came from, comes, Mika comes from the tribe of, of, of Dan. And because of that, they were outside the cloud of glory. And they also, a lot of the tribe of Dan went and, uh, let's hold it afterwards because it's getting a little late. So over the question. But they, they also went and uh, they, they had a lot of casualties in this in this war. Now, when the Amalek, they, they got the Jewish people that were outside the camp, that were outside the camp, and they went and they started decimating them. And when they had a taste of blood, they went through a blood frenzy, crazy, like, like you know, they were going and they were killing people. Not only they were killing people, they were mutilating the bodies. They were castrating them. They were destroying the Jewish bodies. Now, the general reason why people go to war is either uh, if you want to go and you want to attack their land, you want to capture the land. The Jews over here, they had no land. They were in the desert. Why was Amalek really attacking them? Or you could say maybe that, you know what, the people getting, you know, are attacking the, um, you know, the Jewish people. Because maybe the Jewish people threatened their nations and that's why they're attacking them. The Jewish people never threatened anybody. They were in the desert minding their own business. They had nothing to do with Amalek. They never threatened Amalek. But yet Amalek comes unthreatened, no reason for attack and attacks them. Also, they, you know, some people go and they want to show off their military power. <clears throat> North Korea, I don't know, but I'm saying that some people, for no reason whatsoever, they want to go and they want to show off their, their, their military power. If you want to show off your military power, right, there's a way that it works, right? You go into, if anybody has ever been to prison, I hope not. You, if, you want to, if you want to get dominance over there, you find the big, you're raising your hand, I hope not. <laughs> like one time in camp, you know, I was put in the dungeon. Um, when, when you want to go, you don't pick on the weakest link. You pick on the toughest guy that, you know, with muscles in places that you didn't realize muscle existed, and you bring that person down, then no, everyone knows not to mess with you. But if you're gonna go and fight on the weakest guy, they'd be like, okay, you're a loser. Like, so what are the, the, Amalekim, what are they, what are they showing? They're showing their military power, they're fighting a defenseless nation who doesn't have a homeland, who never provoked them. Like, what are they actually gaining from it? Furthermore, 
you have even some people that it's it's a um, you know like a war from for their god, the Crusades, right? A Christian war. You have them Islam, a Christian, you know, Islamic war, a war based on their faith, and that's why they kill many people. Amalek didn't have a god; they were a godless people. So, what were they? Re- what was their reason for fighting against the Jewish people? It was unprovoked, no reason whatsoever, and yet they went and they pure hatred. That's all. That's all that it was to go and fight against the Jewish people. So. Amalek went, they listened to Bilam's advice, and they seemed invincible. They were attacking, blood was flowing, it was not looking good. The Jewish people realized that this is the moment of truth, that there was casualties were, were climbing, and they realized they were not worthy of being saved. They realized that they had a situation on their hands. They, had, they realized that they had to do two things. They have to, number one, fight. They have to physically fight. And also, number two, is that they have to pray. They have to fight. They, they realize that this war is on the physical and on the spiritual. And by the way, everything in your life is on that. Physical and spiritual. Marriage, physical and spiritual. Business, physical and spiritual. Children, physical and spiritual. Everything in your life, if you think you're just going to attack it on the physical level... You only scrap, you know, it's like, it's like taking a tree and just cutting the top. You're not cutting, you're not getting the roots out. If you really want to fix something as a problem, you have to go both on the physical and the spiritual. So they realize we have to fix ourselves and we have to fight physically and spiritually. So Moshe goes, Moshe Rabbeinu goes to, uh, to his disciple Yoshua and he says, and he tells him this and he says, listen, there is a, there is a war going on up here, uh, from a spiritual and a, uh, and you should have left it. Sometimes I like putting the music in the background. It sounds more, uh, 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 okay, so so Moshe Rabbeinu goes and says, "Listen, he says, let's split this up. I'm going to take the spiritual war. You take the physical. You take the physical war. But we need we need specific type of soldiers. We need soldiers who are faithful, who are righteous, who fear God, but also who are strong and mighty warriors that will be able to go and attack. Uh, what you know, attack Amalek. They also have to have an understanding of of witchcraft and sorcery to be able to go and combat these types of uh, you know tactics. So." Moshe Rabbeinu goes and he says, I'm going to find these people for you. And what we're also going to do is we're going to find people that were born in Adar Sheni, the second month of Adar, because no there's no mazel. Very good. The Adar Sheni doesn't, is not associated with any zodiac sign. Really? So yeah. they don't have any, any mazal, and, and the witchcraft and wizards are not able to put spells on those type of people, because they, they have a different level on, you know, on it. Yeah. So Moshe Rabbeinu goes and says, I'm going to choose the men. And we're gonna, we're gonna fast tomorrow. That's the righteous people, right? We're not, we're not basing off our muscles and our expertise. We're gonna fast. Cause we know that it's a spiritual thing. We're gonna go and we're gonna fight tomorrow. We're gonna fast tomorrow. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, you know why also we're gonna wait till tomorrow? Because right now who's fighting? The Amalekim, the Amalekim that have the birthdays today. But tomorrow, it's, there's not gonna be their birthday anymore. So we're gonna have the upper hand as well. Amalekim picked the ones that were on their birthday. Mm-hmm. No, the Jews picked the one that had a uh, that were born in Adal Sheni. Yes. Just a, the what? It was a You're talking about the 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 Amalekim. They have their own their own thing, but there is some knowledge, you know, to that. If, I don't want to say that. I don't want to go into it, but even you have some Kabbalists that they deal with English birthdays as well, to some extent. Well, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to get into it. I don't want to get into too much detail on it. But yeah, they, they do do both of them. Whatever reason, it will, yeah. Let's not speak it, uh, you know, online. So now the, so what happened was is that Moshe goes, chooses these people and, 
and Moshe goes to, to Har Choref. He goes back to the mountain of Choref, back to Har Sinai, to go and, and do the spiritual battle. At this point in time, Yehoshua was 57 years old. Yehoshua comes from the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim comes from Yosef, and Yosef his, and his descendants were not a subject to slave labor. So, and this is, by the way, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story, but 30 years prior to the Jews leaving Egypt, the tribe of Ephraim went and they, they tried to leave Egypt prematurely. They tried to leave Egypt earlier. And it wasn't successful. And they all, you know, they, yeah, they all died. Who was the leader? So there's some commentator says, you know who the leader was? It was Nun. Yehoshua ben Nun's father. Yehoshua ben Nun's father was the general in charge of this, uh, you know, of this, um, you know, of this group that left. So... Yoshua goes and uh, let's go. Let's wait for questions until afterwards because it's getting a little bit late. Yoshua goes and 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 he's going to fight the physical, and Moshe Rabbeinu is going to go and he's going to fi- and he's going to fight the the spiritual. One of the reasons also that you have Yosef Yosef's descendants as fighting Amalek is that Yosef was not involved per se, um, or would not get punished in the sale of Yosef. Because he would not, you know, sell himself. His brother sold him. So he was not involved in that. And because of that, he did not share in that guilt and he had that power. Also, Yehoshua was born in Eyal. Eyal, the sign of Eyal is an ox, which is the same symbol as Yosef, which, which symbolizes connection stronger, uh, you know, with Yosef. And another reason is Yoshua was going to be eventually the one to, to take over Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu wanted Yoshua to get some military experience. He's going to have to fight some military wars. So because of that, he wanted him to be experienced in warfare, so he told Yeshua, "You're going to be the one who's going to be taking the war at the ground. I'm going to be taking the war in uh, in the spiritual in the spiritual point." Now, as they say, there's no atheist in a foxhole. While the Jewish people are being attacked, there was no more rebellious Jews. There was no more people being like, "Oh, Moshe Rabbeinu, it's all your." There were no, no, no. Everybody's like, "Okay, all right, we get the point right now. It's time to do tshuva, time to do repentance, time to follow whatever God wants." And they all started going and with humility going back to uh, to the, what they need to do to their roots and fasting and doing tshuva. The next day, Moshe Rabbeinu goes uh, accompanied by Aaron and his nephew Hu. Hu was the son of Kalev and Miriam. Miriam married Kalev, had a son Hu. So Moshe, Aaron, and Hu went up to that mountain of Har Sinai, which was overseeing the battlefield. And they, Moshe went over there to go and, and you know, and pray. Moshe Rabbeinu took his staff and he used it like, he, he raised both his hands, a very popular uh People that draw things. Yeah. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu was was raising his hand. In one hand, he had the staff. In the other hand, he had the, he, you know he had his hand, and he was praying to God in this in this manner. One of the reasons, you know, with the hands is Yaakov Avinu used the hands to get the blessing because it says Yaakov. You know, he put like fur to to look for um, that it would feel like Esav. At the same point in time, it's we know that Esav his power is in the hands. He's you no know, the side behave. He had so there's a lot of things that associate with the hands. Here, Moshe Rabbeinu was utilizing all that for. Prayer for the spiritual power fed to put everything back into into the correct thing. Oh, we'll see. We'll see afterwards. So what? Different reason. No. So the um, another reason that Moshe Rabbeinu took the staff is that he was going to use the staff to rain down plagues on the on the Amalekim as well. So. Moshe Rabbeinu starts praying and praying to, uh, you know, to God, and the Jewish people see Moshe Rabbeinu on the mountain, they see him over there, they see him with his, uh, you know, with his hands of heaven praying, they, it desired them to pray as well. So it sort of renewed their faith and realized that they only have to go and, and pray to God, and they only have to go and, and realize that everything at the end of the day is only, is only on God. So when they saw his hands up, going up over there, and they were praying, they were winning. They were, they were, uh, you know, in the lead. Now, when, 
when Moshe Rabbeinu was, was, was holding his hands up in heaven, after a certain point in time, he realized he was fasting, he was praying, and his hands started getting tired. But what, the main reason that his hands were getting tired was because that it depended on the faith of the Jewish people. If the Jewish people had sufficient amount of faith, then his hands had the power to stay up. If they were weak in faith, then his hands started, you know, weakening and, and, you know, and falling down. So, when Moshe Rabbeinu went and his hands started getting, you know, tiring, so it was, you know, it was becoming heavy, he, you know, started falling. Now, before we even get to what happened afterwards, the, there was a reasons from, we said reasons why, from the Jewish side of why Moshe's hands was getting tired. There's also reasons why from Moshe's side that it was getting tired. Number one, Moshe delayed the attack against Amalek. Now, he shouldn't have delayed that. God said you, why you, you didn't, you shouldn't have delayed it because, but because a righteous person re, Regardless of whatever he has, is judged to the minute details. He got punished for that, and his hands got, you know, got, you know, got tired uh, as well. Furthermore, why did Moshe Rabbeinu distance himself from the from the war? Why did he go only in the spiritual front? He should have been also on the front line. So because of that, also God made his hands tired. And finally, Moshe Rabbeinu advocated for Erev Rav, for the people that caused a lot of the problems for the Jewish people. He says because you are involved in this, so then your hands are going to get, you know, tired as well. So. What happened was, Moshe Rabbeinu was very, very tired. He had his hands holding up over there. So you had Aaron and Chul right over there. So Aaron and Chul would be able to, you know, hold his hands. The problem was, is if anybody knows about Moshe Rabbeinu, he's very, very tall. You know, he's ten amot tall. They couldn't reach his hands. And his feet was also getting tired. So they, they got a rock, and they, he sat on the rock. And when he sat on the rock, then, Moshe, then Aaron and Chul were able to hold his hands. Aaron was holding the right hand, Chul was holding the left hand, and they were holding his hands up, and he was able to, you know, continue to pray. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu, respectfully like Moshe Rabbeinu. I don't you know if you could even picture any other respectful leader in the history of the world uh, to the level of Moshe, you know, to the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. They wanted to say, okay, listen, you're sitting on a rock, get a cushion. If you ever sat on a rock ever for more than two seconds, you realize a cushion would be of benefit. So it, he goes and Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, 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 I don't want a cushion. He says, I have my brothers fasting on one side. I have my brothers in the front lines on the other side dying. He says, well, I'm going to suffer in their pain. And that is really what one was supposed to do. When the community is suffering in pain, you're supposed to suffer together with the community. Because then when the community prospers, you're going to prosper together with the community. You're going to rejoice when the community rejoices. So the day was coming to a close. And Moshe Rabbeinu, because of his prayers and that, they were able to thwart, they were able to you know, prevent the Amaleki you know, attack. But the wizards and the witches and the, all, all the people that practice you know, magic, they were like, okay, listen, it says night is coming. Night is when, oh, that's when they're able to read the stars. That's when they're able to do you know, something. So they were waiting for that. So Moshe Rabbeinu prayed and prayed and prayed that night shouldn't come. And God made the sun stay up, and the night didn't come. Now, this ruined all the the, the magician's calculations. Everything was 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 you know was out of whack. The, you know, the, the magicians were were so much in panic that they tried to put new spells, new divinations out against the Jewish people. That they were able to go and raise their uh, warriors out in the ear. They were hovering. The warriors were flying in the ear, and Moshe Abinu. With his knowledge, he had some knowledge, uh, you know, on this, and he was able to bring, the, he able to to negate this the spells. So, the 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 wizards brought the you know the the warriors up there. Moshe Rabbeinu negated them. Now, have you ever seen ever and you know the cartoons like back six hundred years ago? You know, where you have like um, you know somebody that like, runs out into like a cliff, and then they take them like three seconds, and they're like. You know, and then they try to run for like, and then they, or something, they run back, but if it's not kid friendly, which is all of them, they just fall straight down to their death, but they don't get dead, they just get, you know, bruised, cause, yeah, teach your kids, just jump over four stories, nothing's gonna happen. So, oh, is that what happens? Oh, lovely. So, the, 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 the warriors are floating, they're, they're flying, they're hovering in the air, 
through magic. Moshe dissembles the magic. The Amalek's fly down. They come crashing down to their deaths. So this is what's happening back and forth. The magic is all over the place. So that's one of the ways that they fall. It's all over the place. They're not able to follow through because the calculations, everything is off track. God stopped the stars. God, God, the sun is in there. So everything was off, was, was off track. So now this is where the, you know, the, all of a sudden the, the battle was turning in favor of the Jewish people. Yehoshua also followed Moshe's instruction. And he started, they, they started decimating the, the, you know, the Amalekim. And even when the Jewish people killed the Amalekim, they didn't do it that like the Amalekim did. In fact, God says you're not even allowed to kill them with an axe. There was a sharp blade and it was an instant death. It was not something, it was no mutilation. Everything was done in the most humane way possible. The, um, the, the magicians even had a way to, you know, have a shield on them. Uh, to prevent them from having arrows or anything put it, but their arms and legs, for whatever reasons, were not able to be put in the shield. And the Jewish people, whatever they, whatever they did, is that they cut off their arm and legs to, to put them, you know, incapacitate them to, to have any, uh, you, know, you know, any future harm to the Jewish people. In any case, the Jewish people at this point, you know, emerge victorious. They did not succeed in obliterating Amalek completely. And this is why we have a obligation in Shemot chapter 17 verse 14. We have, we have an obligation to destroy and eradicate the memory of Amalek. This was the, Amalek was the first nation to show attack to the Jewish people. At this point in time, everybody was terrified. Nobody wanted to touch the Jewish people. I'd be like, are you kidding me? So the Jew, no, even people were going and they were, they wanted to go and convert to Judaism. They were, they, you know, they're like, listen, this is amazing. Amalek was the one that discounted everything. You know, it's, it's similar to, uh, the Midrashim bring down a story that you have, if there's a very, very hot pool. Very, very hot. Steaming hot. Nobody wants to go inside. Until you have one interesting guy who jumps into the pool, he's burnt. But everybody else cools it off and jumps in everybody else. I remember when I was in Israel. Yeah, said that. I said this story? <laughs> about jumping off a cliff? No. <laughs> oh, okay. So, oh, no, no, I'm talking about a different story. We were, we were, our yeshiva took us on a hike. Uh, was it Shamron? I don't remember where it was. And it was, it was a crazy hike. I, I, you know, only like 15 years ago, now everybody's like, you sign your waiver of your life, yeah. you know, and you're never going to sue. Back then it was like, hey, whatever, yeah. This is, oh yeah, this, back then it was like, yeah, you go over there and we hope everybody comes back alive. You know, like that was like the, you know, we have faith in God, right? So, so we go on this, um, uh, you know, on this path and, and when we get to this path and there's a long, long ladder, an Israel hike ladder, you know what that means? That's like a ladder that doesn't follow any standard whatsoever of being a ladder ever, right? It's like, you know, someone sneezes and the whole ladder, you know, like this, you know? And you're talking about like 50 feet up in the air. So you have to climb down this ladder and then you go... It wasn't a rope ladder. It was actually, yeah, it was a, it was a real ladder. It was still swinging. It was nailed in. It was still swinging. The mountain was swinging. I don't know. Whatever it was, it was very interesting. So I'm sure by now they fixed it. and they. But there was another way to get down. It was a pool of water at the bottom. It was another way to get down, is that if you climb around, there was a nice little cliff edge, and then you can jump and pray and hope that there's enough water. So now, we're, I was one of the first over this. I climbed down like everybody else, climbed down, until there was one guy who says, you know what, I could probably jump off this, because um, there's water down there. Um, so it was, and I got to tell you, I was down there already, but that jump was the highest jump I've ever done in my life. I actually oh, you went back up. Went back up. 
I went back up again because I'm a man, and you men have to, you know, say that you're a man. I I was down already. I was on the other side, and and there's one guy who went and jumped off. I gotta say, it was over 60 feet. It was over 60 feet. I've never... And people... There's one guy... Yeah, everyone was okay. I don't know who's... Like, the rabbis were like cheering them on. We're like, yeah, you got it. You know, like... How do you know there's no rocks on the bottom? I don't know. Whatever it was. One guy goes, jumps off jumps off the cliff and lands on, on the pool. What happens to a bunch of macho guys that see this? I'm going to do that too. You know, like, I'm going to do a flip. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do a belly... Whatever it is, right? You know, so... A bunch of guys go up, and one by one, everyone... Now, I gotta tell you this, you know, like, as macho as any guy is, when you get up there, right, you're looking down, you're screaming mommy, right? You'll be like, I don't know, but then you're looking back, and all your friends are doing the gorilla pound, you know, and you're like, yeah, I got this, you know? It's not tears, the sun is just in my eyes, you know, like, there's allergies in the summer, yeah. So... I'm, I, I remember being in that, all because of one guy. All because of one guy went and he jumped. And I remember going up over there, and I was like, no, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, you go ahead in front of me. And then the guy behind me jumped ahead and be like, yeah, I'm going to do that now. I can't, you know, like, come on. You know, you, gotta, you have a cred, you know, you, you have a street cred that you have to keep up. So, no, because women are smart. And men are not smart. That's generally the way that it goes. So. Which is, uh, to some points, so, uh, you know, it's smart. So, to some points, I gotta tell you this. I still remember the jump. I remember the jump, and I remember falling down. I remember just looking at the ground, and I'm like, why is the ground so far away, and why is it taking so long? These were the thoughts I was going, why is it taking so long for me to hit the ground? And then, all this while I'm falling is like, this was not a smart idea. What am I supposed to do? Cross your legs. Make sure, you know, like, I followed the industry protocols that were, were introduced by my friends. Um, and, you know, it was the longest drop that I've ever had in, you know, in my life. I gotta say, it was exhilarating. You know, it was, it was entertaining. I wouldn't recommend it on anybody, but, yeah, Baruch Hashem, everybody was okay. And there were guys that jumped and split to the ear, turned around four times, and then landed, you know, and then, you know, landed. I mean, everybody sounded like this for a little bit, but everybody was okay. So, they, uh, but why did all this happen? Because one guy went and jumped in. Because if nobody would jump in, everybody would be like, you know, somebody would point out, be like, you know what? You could probably jump off that. I'd be like, are you kidding me? You're going to die. Like 12 times before you hit the ground. Like, I remember when we were in uh, camp, we used to go to like this uh, water park, uh, Beer Mount, I don't know what it was. There was a water park, we had like a cliff. And the cliff was like 20 feet up. That was a joke compared to this. That was like taking a step, you know, compared to what we, we had to jump off in Israel. Huh? Mountain Creek, that's what, is that one Mountain Creek that has like a cliff? I don't know. I was like in 20, and everyone was like, whoa, let's wait, we're going to jump off. I'm like, until you go to Israel, right, and jump off somewhere you're not supposed to jump off, like, you don't know what you're talking, you know, this is not, it's not a rush, you know, and I'm not talking about those people that go and jump with rubber bands attached to their feet, or whatever, okay, may God have mercy on them as well, you know, like, um, but, bungee jumping, yeah, so, um, the, the point is, is that, People do things because the first person that does it cools it off for everybody else. Amalek was the first person that cooled it off for everybody else. Everyone's like, eh, not such a big deal. You know, you have this also in classes. Sometimes, you know, you give a powerful class or you go and you see, you're listening to a powerful class. A class that says, you know what? I'm going to change my life. I'm going to change my life. I'm not going to be like back then. The Jews didn't listen. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow the Torah. I'm going to follow me. I'm going to do everything that I need to do. But you know what? Then there's one guy or one girl that as everybody leaves makes one joke. 
makes one comment and that just ruins the entire thing. That's exactly what I'm elected. It said did one action that ruined the entire thing to the point that many people were like, yeah, whatever, the Jews, yeah, they left Egypt, but really, did they? Was there really so much, ma- so much like crazy stories that happened? So much magic that they overcome, they overcame? Like, look, Amalek, Amalek was able to go and fight them and they actually hurt them. So Amalek was the type of, uh, of people that went and they cooled it off for everybody else. The Amalek, even though they went and they killed a lot of the Jews, they were also attacking God. They were attacking, you know, the Kisei Kavod. And that's why we have an obligation to go and remember Amalek. We have, the, we have to, we have the Zahol. The same, by the way, Zahol is the same word that we use to remember Shabbat. The Jewish people didn't keep Shabbat. Zahol, now you have to Zahol Amalek. Realize, why did God say you have to remember Amalek? Two reasons. Number one is that you realize that why did Amalek have the ability to go and, and fight against you? Because you did not Zahol Shabbat. You did not follow the Shabbat. You did not do the laws that you needed to do. You did not follow the Torah. You did not follow the mitzvot. You did not follow the things that you're supposed to do. So guess what? You're going to be attacked. That was the last week that they didn't keep Shabbat when Amalek came? Yeah. That's one of the reasons. They didn't follow the Torah. They didn't, follow, they didn't keep Shabbat. Yeah. So, the another reason is, and by the way, also God did, did not allow them to destroy and you know, annihilate Amalek completely at this point in time. Why? Because the Jewish people needed a reminder to put them in, sh- in shape. Be like, hey, listen. says, God, I'm going to keep Amalek around. Just remember, they could always attack you again. It's sort of like keep you in reminder that, you know, there's a speed, there's a speed camera going on over here. You speed, you're going to get a ticket. You know, Amalek is over there standing that in case it's, it's needed. And this is where, uh, you know, the Tsar brings out, which you mentioned earlier, that, that this was not a minor battle, battle at all. This, from, from the time of creation until the era of Mashiach, there was no battle that could be compared to it, says Rabshem Bayechai. Even greater than the war of Gog and Magog. Why? Why was this so much greater? Because the spiritual forces that were that were called into play in this war. There were so much spiritual forces that were called were called into play. What happened was eventually with Amalek, and we're finishing in a few minutes, that Amalek was uh, you know called to be destroyed several centuries later by the time that the Jewish people had the first uh, the first king, King Shaul. So when King Shaul went and he was supposed to go and 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 destroy Amalek. By the way, why was King Shaul? King Shaul comes from where? Comes from Benjamin. Who comes from Benjamin? I mean, also Yosef. It comes from Yosef. Just like, just like originally, what it, you know, what happened was Yeshua Benun, who was also going to go and destroy them. He comes from Ephraim. You have over here who comes from Yosef. So too you have King 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 Saul, King Shaul, who comes from comes from uh, uh, Benjamin, who comes from um, Yosef as well, because that is who's going to be able to go and destroy them. Rachel, what did I say? No, 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 you can't, come, sorry, it comes from Rachel. comes from Yosef, yeah, Yosef, uh, Yosef and Benjamin were Rachel's children. Both of them come from, right, both of them come from that, and also both of them were not involved in the sale of Yosef. Right, thank you for correcting me. So, I'm already three steps ahead. I'm trying to think about what, how am I going to wrap this up. So, the, the time that Amalek is going to be destroyed is going to be the time of Mashiach. And in the time of Mashiach, the way that, that we're going to destroy Amalek is not by destroying Amalek. The way that we destroy Amalek is by destroying the archangel. It's all based on spirituality. It's all based on, on re- stopping to sin and doing tshuva. And once we do that, we're going to be able to erase, you know, the Amalek. Now, to, to finish it off, the, there's a mashal that the, that the Mithashim bring down, that the Mithashim bring down, that there was once a king that was very angry at his wife. Maybe or maybe not, he was fired. I don't know. Um, so he decides, you know what? I'm going to take a walk. Take it for what you notice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, 
nowadays the truth is the new age doesn't matter so much. The old age it meant something. In the old age, this was this people understood this joke. Nowadays, um, it's the men that get abused. So in any case, so um, power to the American woman, right? So. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true as well. So the king was angered by his wife, and he decides, you know what? I'm going to take a walk. I am going to cool off, and he takes a walk. Where does he walk to? He walks to the jewelry store. He walks to the jewelry store, and he buys the most expensive rings and jewelry that the that this store has. And he goes over back to his wife, and he presents her with all this jewelry. Now the minister says, wow, look at this. He says, imagine, this is how the king treats his wife, the queen, when he's angry at her. Imagine how he treats her when he's happy with her. Now look at the Jewish people. Look at the, the miracles that God created and did for the Jewish people. When the Jewish people are not following God, when the Jewish people are not doing that, imagine how much miracles and how much power we will have when we follow God, when we follow the Torah, we follow the Mitzvah. Imagine what we will have. So Bezat Hashem, may when time come, the Mashiach will come, that will be actually to finalize eradicating the memory of Amalek. We won't have to deal with Amalek. And we'll be able to fully indulge in the Torah the way that it's intended to be, the way that we're supposed to be. And we'll be no longer subjugated to any nations, not Amalek and not anybody else. Questions? Questions? Okay. Questions while we're loading? Questions, not about the It's fine. Okay, let's wait. Dun, 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 dun. Oh. oh, very good question. Why does Amalek, this is in general a question, so why is Amalek getting punished? Hashem send them. There you go. Free will. The way that it works is that even, let's say someone goes and steals, steals uh, money from somebody else. God can say, like, why did you steal from somebody else? The person can say, listen, God, you orchestrated, you said that this person should get, money should get stolen from it. I couldn't do it if you wouldn't have said, given the okay. So why would I get punished? So. Amalek choose to be a vessel. Um, Hashem, if somebody's gonna be losing whatever it is, whether it's a nation or that, God will find the messenger. In a way that a, God, that a man wants to go, he will be he will be led. So regardless of of who was the reason or who was the source for it, they, yes, it was okayed by God. But God only said it because you wanted to do it. So because they wanted to do it, and it's something that they were looking and and trying to do for many many years. So because of that, you know, they they are obviously getting they are involved in the punishment as well. But before you get to that, you had, you remember it? I'm gonna yeah. walk it this way. I'm gonna go to. Because Amalek was the one that cooled everybody off. Right after the Jewish people were on the high, right after the God presented Himself to and and gave the Exodus, gave the you know the splitting of so many things. Amon, everything happened. The Jewish people were on the high. God was introducing Himself, and the Amalek went and attacked not only you know the Jewish people, they attacked also God. Amalek has a special place, special place because of that, not especially good place. So, wait, if Shalom would have killed all of Amalek. Put it this way, who comes, you know, Haman comes from Amalek. So, if Shaul Amalek would have killed, who knows what would have happened, I'm saying, but there was a, would have been a lot of different outcomes. Well, the war of Gog and Magog is really Ishmael and Esav that's going to be involved, you know, you know, in it. Nowadays, we don't know who Amalek is. We don't know who Amalek is. I mean, people say, you know, give proof that it's Germany, whatever, whatever. It's a different class for a different time. But um, we don't know who Amalek is at this point in time. Yeah. Right. Any other questions? Any other questions? Oh, so. Happened, the 
When Gogo, when after the when Mashiach comes, Amalek is going to be officially destroyed. Because after Mashiach comes Olam Haba, world to come, and that's you know uh, Amalek has no entrance in the world to come. And you're saying before that it's going to be a spiritual, like spiritual war. Amalek was a very spiritual war. Amalek was spiritual and physical. But the end and the Gogo Mogo was that going to be a physical or a spiritual? War? It's going to be both, and it really de- it, there's a, there's a lot of factors that depends on the war of Gogo Magog. So it depends on how. The, uh, the reason that Mashiach comes is it going to come from because people are all good or people are all bad. There's going to be so it depends. It's going to be very different outcomes depending. It, yeah, it depends on us. Free will. One more thing. Mm-hmm. Put it in. You're going back to Florida, so no. Yeah, I have to get them all in. Discussing like about this topic of Amalek and like someone let's say like how do you show that Esau is evil? Basically, like some people would say like, oh, he was really good, like he. He like wanted to serve his father, and like Yaakov just went and stole the blessing away from him. How is that fair? Like, how do you like explain that that whole scenario? Like saying, no, really, Esau is wrong. Like, so how do you? So right. So the, the question is, how do you? How do you go? Right, right. Right. How? Why is Esau what he's doing wrong? This is really what your question is. So first of all, okay. it's just looking at the facts. He stole the birthright. Writing, you know, it it was it was not by any sort of scheme. It wasn't, you know, some sort of like, hey, sign of this dotted line. Hey, by the way, I just bought it. No, no, no. He sold it. He knew what he was selling it. Afterwards, he was like, well, I don't like it. I want to renege on my deal. Like, so he when he sold the the, the birthright, that's it. it. Was the deal was closed? He was in a desperate situation, like like for him, like whatever it was. It was he in a desperate situation? He was hungry. I mean, Have you ever been hungry that you want to sell your soul? Hangry. Esav was why? So the question is a good question. Why did Yaakov need to buy it? Esav, let him just do a good deed, Yaakov. Esav is hungry. Let him do a good, a good deed. Because Yaakov realized the value of it, and Yaakov realized that Esav didn't care about the value of it. So. If you have a sibling, and the sibling has this most advanced game, I don't want to say Game Boy, but I'm going to outdate myself. It's probably like, you know, Oculus or whatever, VR system, whatever it is. I don't know what people play nowadays. But whatever people waste their time nowadays with. So if you're, you have a brother or a sibling that has this, and the sibling doesn't use it, what does he use it for? They turn around, they look at the sun. You know, like, wow, look at this. You know, like, but they don't really utilize it. So you tell them, hey, listen, because I'm going to give you 50 bags of potato chips for this. And to him, it'd be like, well, that's totally worth it. I'm done looking at the sun. You know, like, yeah, take it. I don't need this. I don't like it. It gets me dizzy. Nauseous. I got to take, what is that? I got to take Dramamine every time. I, you know, like, I'm not interested in it. You take it. Just give me the 50 bags of chips. It, a sale was made that it was worth it for both both parties. Think of it like this. So let's say somebody's going into, you know, like wants to buy a real estate property. And the property is owned by the bank. And the bank wants to give it up at a discounted price. So the question is, oh, you're not cheating the bank? The bank could really get more money for it, but the bank just wants to get rid of it. They don't want it in their, in the, you know, in the portfolio anymore. The person beforehand either reneged on, you know, wasn't able to pay the more, whatever it is, it's causing the bank enough headaches that they're willing to get it at a discount price. So the bank is willing to do the sale. You're willing to do the purchase. Everything is legal. Kosher, chazakubol, everything is amazing. The same thing happened in, the, in this situation. Yaakov wanted something. Esav didn't care about it. He wasn't interested in spirituality. The blessing was all about spirituality. He wasn't interested in all these things. So Yaakov said, listen, I want this. You want this? Let's make a deal. You don't want it? No need. Who knows, by the way, 
Esav says, no deal if Yaakov wouldn't have given to him anyways. We don't know that. Esav says, oh, listen, you want that? What do I need this stuff for? Yeah, I'll sign it out, you take it. So Esav went and he gave over the, the Bechorah. He gave over the thing because he didn't care about it. When did all of a sudden did he care about it? Oh, all of a sudden, many years later, when he realized the, you know, the extent of what it, you know, what it entails, is now I changed my mind. Like, listen, a sale is a sale. A bank can come over to you and say, hey, listen, you purchased the property 10 years ago, and now it's double in value. Uh, we changed our mind. We gave you too much of a good deal. You can't say that. It's not gonna hold up in court. A sale is a sale. It's done. It's valid and, you know, and everything else is void after it. How did Esav know the value of it? It was like the rest of the future of the... Esav knew what, what Yaakov knew. I'm saying they, they were brought up in the same house. It was, what? Well, they were twins, yeah. They were not like, you know, they, they, non-identical twins. Oh, why didn't they stop do that? Your question is? Why didn't they stop know the value or why didn't he care about the value? I don't know, it's a good question. Esab also was a murderer and an adulterer and a thief. So there's many questions that you could ask about people with that type of personality. You'll probably deal with them. <laughs> Hopefully not the murderer's part. Um, yeah, but, hopefully not that type of psychology. Okay, well then. All, all there are all psychology. Go for positive psychology. That's always good and fun and happy. CBT yeah. therapy. Any other questions? Question? No. Any other questions? No, you're, you're good? No, no, no. Yes, so the... What, this is actually an excellent question that I was thinking about it also. And I don't know if there's a, so when the, when the, the question is like this, that the water separated with the well of Miriam, and the wicked people had to work for, further to go and get the water, as opposed to the righteous people had to go closer. So now, did the wicked people have to, like, like, my question was is that, yeah, go to your neighbors, buy his front yard, why don't you go do that? Why don't you just go right over there? What, how is it that the wicked people had to travel further to get the man than the or the water for that matter? How that, or why? They live next to the let's say a righteous person. Let them go next to the righteous person. So what's interesting is 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 that, and I believe the answer is is that you have people lived depending on where where you lived. For example, the wicked people were outside of the Nakavod. The the you know the Arab were outside. So it was centered per se by by tribes, but also. It, to some sort of extent, it was by righteousness. And I guess, I don't want to say the front lines, but the man also, yeah. So there must have been some sort of, uh, and the crazy thing is, is that they traveled. So the same schematics came with them to wherever they were. That's the crazy part about it. It traveled with them, and wherever they planted their, it was unbelievable. It's a miracle within a miracle within a miracle within a miracle. The more that you can't, and by the way, I'm going through the story very fast. And it, and I'm going through it very slow, what you think is very slow, but I'm actually going through it very fast, uh, but there's so much to speak about, so much of these things, but I want to try to get, you know, the overview. We're not going to the depths of it, because then we could stay on the war on my leg for, for a few classes just on the, uh, you know, that. So, there's a lot, a lot of details in here. I would strongly recommend people to go and study, and read. it's, it's so, you, if you learn history, you go and you don't repeat history. It's very, very important to realize where the Jews fell, where the Jews succeeded, why the Jews fell, why the Jews succeeded, because then you can implement that into your own lives. Succeed and fail, you know, success and failures in your own lives, and what are the sources and the, and the repercussions for that as well. Any other questions? Okay. Hazakabaruch. Do you mind? Thank you. All right. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.